Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hi, everybody. This is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to another edition of Marnie's Friends. And we have a wonderful guest here today, Jim Comer of ComerCommunications.com. He's going to be sharing with us some speaker training on how to create unforgettable presentations. So grab your notepad or whatever you do to take notes, and let's go ahead and get started. We're going to, during the next hour, you're going to discover your best asset as a speaker in two ways to use it wisely how to identify and maximize your unique resources. The one thought process that virtually guarantees limited success and what you can do to be sure it never happens to you, the number one well-intentioned mistake speakers make and how to avoid it, the two best ways to make a point stick with your audience, when visuals hurt more than they help, and how to use yours to their full benefit, and also uh, one of Jim's own acronyms, ATO, and how it can help you. Jim Comer is a speech writer, speech coach, and nationally known speaker. He has worked with CEOs, written books, and spoken in 20 states on communication skills. He shares three decades of experience in creating unforgettable presentations with his audiences, and he's here today to share great content with us. Thanks for coming, Jim. Welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. I'm all the way from Austin, Texas, where we're still in the 90s. I don't know where you are, but oh my, it's still hot where I am. Well, if I'm I'm directly above you, all the way to the Canadian border, and we've oh, got about yeah, we got about sixty going on today. <laughs> well, that sounds awful good to me. Right, and um, when did you ever? When did you decide you were going to get into speaking or speaker training? You know, it's a great story because I'd been an actor in New York, and I like so many actors in New York, I was not one of the one-tenth of one percent who actually made a living at it. I almost made a living at it, but I took a lot of classes and learned a lot. I finally got a job working uh, for a big corporation writing sales meetings because I'd started writing along the way because you can write without anybody giving you permission to. And they asked me to write a speech for the CEO of the company. I'd never written a speech before. And I was so proud of the speech, and everybody liked it. And then I heard the CEO give the speech, kind of as a rehearsal, and he was terrible. I mean, he could not have been worse. I mean, I was just there going, oh, my God, he's going to ruin my speech. And I mean, he didn't know me from Adam, but I went up to him. I was so desperate to save my speech. And I said, Mr. Casey, you know, would you like to rehearse a little bit? I think you could be even better. And he said, well, no one's ever asked me to rehearse before. And so he agreed. He was eager to rehearse. And we worked three or four times together, and he got better. And all of his fellow executives noticed it, and overnight, I was a speech coach. Wow. Well, I mean, that's really, a that great story. Like that. I mean, I was so desperate to save my speech that I became a speech mm-hmm. coach. That's and all so that acting, all those acting classes paid off. That's right. That's so interesting. Well, there's so much to that, and we're going to talk about that as we go through the hour here. So let's go ahead and dive right into... What is a speaker's best asset? You know, what I've always believed is that 
individuality. Your own mm-hmm. one-of-a-kind individuality is your greatest asset because there is no one on the planet like you. There's not another one around. No one ever will be. No one ever has been. You're it. And yet, you know, if you will be wise enough to use your individuality and, and, and use it as an asset, then it is going to lead to likability. Because if you're the person, in, when you get up in front of an audience, if you're the same person that you, that, that you are with your friends and your family and the people in your life where you feel comfortable and safe, if you bring that person, that likable person, with you on stage – then the audience is going to get a chance to get to know who you are, the real, authentic you. And therefore, then they're going to be able to connect to you. And once they've connected, they're going to be able to listen to your message. But it all starts with being who you really are, authentic, individual, likable, which opens the door to connecting. And you, know, you, can, mm. you can see that on these debates we've been watching. Some people have it and others don't. Mm. Once you uh, once you figure out who you are and you decide that you're okay with who you are, which for some people is a long process in and of itself, it how do you use it that? How do you how do you use that wisely? Then once you identify, this is really me. This is who I'm going to be comfortable with in front of people. Then how do yeah, you make well, yeah, use that? Yeah, because that is a, that is a gigantic decision. You know, we were talking a little bit just a few minutes before before the show started. And I was last week I gave. A presentation skills workshop, and I did it uh, Tuesday night and Thursday night, four hours each night. And the woman who, a lawyer who was there on Tuesday night, she was the best in the class. She was the most, she told a great story. She was likable, wonderful, and she didn't come back on Thursday night because she didn't think she was good enough. And mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, how do I change that? I, you know, I mean, I, clearly maybe she needs, maybe she needs something beyond what I can give her, but she didn't realize how good she was. She didn't realize that she was likable, charming, and that her stories were great and that, you know, she did not use what she had. And um, that, the key is to, to, to be able to get up and be who you really are not try to be anybody else because I often see people get up and I can almost see them trying to be somebody they've seen on a TED talk or some other person that they are trying to be. And it's not the person that walked into the room earlier. And that Mm. never works because audiences pick up right away. if You're not being authentic. They can get it. They, They can feel it. And so when you are being, when you're being the best of yourself, then we feel comfortable with you, and you feel comfortable with us. And it, it, then that connection just sort of flows back and forth. The other thing is so many people get up to not, to not make a mistake. You can't do that. How do you get up to not? You know, I don't know how to do that. I don't really know how to get up to do. You know, when I get up in, in front of a group, I'm eager to talk about, you know, communications and connecting and this uh, all the specifics about communication that I feel strongly about you know that I get up to do something when you're and everybody who's speaking has a reason to be there they wouldn't be speaking if they didn't have some knowledge or some expertise on that subject they've got a reason to be there so if you get up 
to impart knowledge or if you get up to inspire or if you get up to entertain, whatever the reason is, if you get up to help that audience and connect to that audience, then you don't have to worry about being perfect because you're, not, you're, you're, you're getting up for a positive. You know, I, I really do this before I speak to any group. I do a little kind of a, almost a little prayer. I mean, I, I, I say, please let me, let me help somebody here tonight. Let me help somebody. That's the last thing mm. I say to myself. And when I say that, mm. see, it immediately takes the, the focus off of me, and it puts it onto the audience where it should be. My job is to connect with them and help them. And if I do that, then I'm doing my job. If I'm thinking about how I'm going over, that doesn't help at all. You know, oh, I mean, it just that's doesn't. so true, it, right. It right. doesn't, you know, it, it, and a perfect example, I, two things happened last week because I, I, I had just, um, I recovered uh, recently from some surgery. I, I'm, my strength has been coming back slowly. Thank goodness it's back now. But last Monday, a week ago Monday, I was feeling not great, and I had promised to, uh, to, to, to help out this person and speak for 20 minutes to about 100 high-tech people, already a tough audience because they, they're like a big, you know, they, they like all the facts and figures and all that. But I, was getting, I had 20 minutes to try to convince them to be likable <laughs> and to connect. And I was feeling... <laughs> Terrible. I mean, I, I physically not well. Mm-hmm. My energy was down, and I thought, I'm not sure I can do this. But I just said, let me, let me, let me try to help somebody. Let me try to help somebody. And I got up, and thank goodness God created adrenaline because my adrenaline mm-hmm. took over, and I guess I had a lot more energy than I thought, and it went well. And the best part came after the whole program was over. There was a couple, a young couple from India and they had their seven-year-old son with them there for some reason, and they brought him up to me, and they said, our son wants to shake your hand. He liked your speech so much. And this little boy mm. reaches out his hand and shook my hand. Then they said, he wants a picture with you. So we had a selfie time. And so I got a picture with this seven-year-old and got to shake his hand. And I got to tell you, I lived off that the whole week long. It was I believe such it. I believe a great it. moment. You know, I mean, it was just, awesome. you know, you can't, you cannot buy a moment like that, you know, right. and that came I gave it the best I had, even though I didn't feel like I was at my best, I did the best I could. And I remember seeing his face and smiling at him at one point during the, during the, during the, uh, the speech. And, and maybe that was what, what got, I don't know what got him. I, cause I couldn't believe that a seven year old was was that interested in presentation skills, but he was. Maybe it was the energy. I'm not sure what he picked up on, but he gave me a tremendous gift. And see, that's I was thinking as do. you were talking, too, I was thinking as you were talking, too, that you could have never uh, set yourself up for that particular response because that was a never. surprise audience attendee. You know, it, it, if you're just doing your job, uh, doing the communicating and connecting part, then whatever comes afterwards is sometimes like that spontaneous and fun. Why don't we go on and identify once you, you know, once you recognize, okay, it's me they really want to have, <laughs> come speak, then how do you identify and maximize your unique resources? Yeah, well, that's, you know, I, I actually have a whole section that I talk about that we've all got these natural resources that come along with us. And, you know, and they're right there just waiting for us to use them. The first one, and that one that so many, especially corporate executives, skip right over, is a smile. You know, they'll get right up and say, really good to be with you this morning, and now we're gonna, let's talk about uh, point A. 
and they've never stopped to give a real, genuine, personal smile and say, it's really good to be with you today. I'm so glad to be here. And we're going to talk about blankety-blank. So let's get, let's get going. You know, I mean, they, they've spent an extra 10 seconds, but with a smile and a voice that sounds friendly, they've connected with that, with that audience, if they'll use the smile. I can't tell you how many people or, that I see get up, and they're so nervous about making a good impression. They're so concerned about getting it right, not making a mistake, that they don't smile. And they normally would smile. And, you know, it's like they're holding that smile back. And I want to say, start with a smile. Start with a friendly word. So that's, that's A. And then the second one is eye contact. I mean, I mean, eye contact is just absolutely essential. It's what connected me with the seven-year-old. Um, I, what I do is, you know, if you're, if you're a CEO or a presidential candidate, you're going to have a teleprompter. And the reason for teleprompters is so that you can keep your eye contact with the camera at all times and never have to look up or down. And I've got to tell you, if you've watched the debates, Ted Cruz has got that down. I mean, he focuses on that camera. His eyes never leave the camera. So most human beings don't have teleprompters. We have to just use our actual eyes. And what I suggest people do is find faces in the audiences in the audience that are feeding you. In other words, that are nodding or smiling or look happy, look like they're really with you. I mean, you can see them right away. I find somebody to the left that's with me, and I find somebody kind of to the middle left and then somebody right in the middle and then somebody kind of halfway to the right and all the way to the right. I find four or five people in the audiences who are really with me. And I pitch my talk to these people that are feeding me. Everybody around them thinks I'm talking to them. So I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, I'm being fed by the audience as I'm feeding them because we need that. We need that back and forth thing. Uh, do you, would your audience remember Phyllis Diller, the comedian? Sure, I think so. Yeah, well, well, I, when I was a young actor in New York, I, I wrote some jokes for her. And uh, I got a princely $10 a line. <laughs> but she told me something that I'll never forget. The one time I met her, she said, Jim, comedy is like ping pong. I ping, but if the audience doesn't pong, then there's no comedy. Well, the same thing with speaking. Speakers ping, but if they're not connecting and being with the audience or reacting to what's going on, then there's no ponging going on. And it, a speech is really a, a back-and-forth thing. And the closer you're really paying attention, the better off. And I also suggest that you don't focus on the two or three people in the audience who look bored or, or are checking their email or you know, want to maybe napping. I don't know. Do not focus on them. You do not know what's going on with them. If it's only a couple of people, it has nothing to do with you. They may be having a fight with their spouse. They may be having trouble with their boss. They may have gas. Who knows? I don't know. You can't pay any attention to the few who are not with you. Focus on the ones, focus on the rest of the audience that's with you. And if you do that, it'll make all the difference to you. And they will feel like you're speaking to them. That's the key. You want each person in the audience to feel like you're with them. 
So, so that's just a smile, eye contact, vocal variety. Well, you can tell that I have a lot of vocal variety. I mean, I get excited, and I go up, and I go down, and I, get, I go fast, and then I go slow. And sometimes I'll pause. And, you know, I, mean, I, do, I don't have a certain way to say sentences. I don't plan it out ahead. In real life, we don't plan out our sentences ahead of time. And so when you're making a talk, you want to bring some of that real-life feeling with you. You want, to, you want to sound like you're having a real conversation with the audience. And, and that vocal variety is absolutely essential to doing that because, A, it keeps them awake. It keeps them lively. It sounds like you're, you're authentic. And, and the, the vocal variety is just essential. And yet so many people, when, when, they, when they get nervous, cut back on the vocal variety and try to get careful. And they all of a sudden begin to talk like this, and they're trying to not make a mistake. And so they're all of a sudden sounding very much like, you know, I will get to the end of the sentence, and then I'll stop, and I'll keep it right here where I'm safe. You know, that monotone sound? You've, you've heard speakers yeah. like that. And what does it do? It, 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 it makes us, uh, we, we kind of doze off. We lose track because they don't sound real. So vocal variety is just uh, absolutely essential. Um, you know, and, and, you know, what's so great about the variety of individuals we've, you know, uh, that we have speaking is that there is no one right way to be a good speaker. There's your way done right. And I'm going to repeat that. No mm, one I right way, <laughs> your way done right. And by done right, I mean done as yourself. So that they leave getting a real feeling about you. Because you know, the truth of it is, and I hate to tell this to engineers and high-tech people because they don't want to believe this, but the audience is not going to remember a whole lot of what you said. They're going to leave... <laughs> Well, it is. It's a truth, you know. It's true. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I actually do an exercise in my workshops. I ask the the class to think of the last presentation that they've heard, and I give them about fifteen twenty seconds to think of it. And then once they've thought of it, I say, "Okay, what were the two major points?" And almost no one can remember one major point from the last presentation they heard. So what I want people to do actually be able to uh, remember be, rem- be able to, rem- to remember what you said and so the way to do that is to, is to make sure that you don't get up there trying to be right trying to, to be perfect but that you actually get up there and say one or two key points that the audience will relate to if you make one or two points well and they like you, then you've hit a home run. Mm, love that. Well, this is Marty Sleberg. We're visiting today with Jim Comer of ComerCommunications.com. We're going to come right back and talk about the thought process that virtually guarantees limited success and what you can do to be sure it never happens to you. Don't go away. 
WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Do you have a habit you can't seem to break? Or maybe you have a big project that you just can't get yourself to do. What you need is a 21-day win. 21-day wins include a workbook, a weekly group coaching session with Marnie, plus a private Facebook accountability group. You'll get clear instructions, mastery training, and practical support to help you reach your desired goal in just 21 days. Previous participants have quit smoking, completed manuscripts, and so much more. To join the next 21-Day Win with Marnie, visit www.21daywins.com. Break a habit or complete a project in just 21 days. Money back guaranteed. Check it out now at www.21daywins.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and I'm excited to share with you our guest today, Jim Comer of comercommunications.com. Jim is a speech writer, speech coach, and nationally known speaker, and he's here sharing with us speech speaker training, creating unforgettable presentations. Jim, before the break, we were talking about the uniqueness factor, and now we want to kind of move into... Uh, there's a couple of things that people can do that are that are really um, hard uh, that speakers do, and they maybe don't know that they're doing it wrong, uh, but it really can have a negative effect on their on their uh, speaking, as well as they're getting invited back or getting referrals. So there's a thought process that you train. Uh, you kind of train it out of people. So tell us about. Well, one of the the most important things that every speaker has to deal with is fear especially new speakers, people who are just getting started, who haven't had that much experience. You know, you know, fear is just, it, everybody has to deal with it. Some of them may just call it nervousness or butterflies, but down deep, it's fear. And, you know, I just, I just double-checked a couple of weeks ago to make sure it was still up there. I, because for years, the Gallup poll had uh, speaking in public as number one. Well, I checked in the Washington Post survey, of the greatest fears of the American people, speaking in public, number one, it comes in ahead of snakes and drowning. Yeah, so Marnie, if I ask you, would you like to speak to a national convention or drown? And you pause to think about it, I would know you were a little frightened speaking. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> But this is really true. It's, it's right there on the Washington Post survey. I mean, I just looked last week. So, I mean, we're talking about a very deep-seated fear that most people have. People change majors in college sometimes if they find they're going to have to do something where they have to take a course in speaking as part of the major. People change jobs sometimes if they think that their, their, their next job is going to require them to do a lot of speaking. I mean, this is a gigantic fear. So if I can help people reframe that fear and look at it as not a fear, but, but as an opportunity, as an opportunity to, to, to get it, to, either to get ahead in their job, to get across uh, a point they want to make. If, if someone is 
deeply religious and wants to share their faith with someone, and yet they're too afraid to, to get, you know, th- th- their nervousness about speaking holds them back, that's something they might want to overcome. The same thing if they have a political opinion they want to share, uh, and, and yet they can't do it because they're, they're too frightened. So if you have a real reason, if you can get yourself to focus on the reason why you want to be a speaker, and then say, I'm going to get, I'm going to focus on that reason more than my fear. In other words, it goes right back to what I said before. You get up to do something, not to be a victim of fear. And, um, you know, it, it, it's amazing because it, it takes practice. That's why, you, are you familiar with the group Toastmasters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Toastmasters, I highly recommend to your audience. I mean, if you're, um, if you're somebody who wants to be a better speaker uh, or, re- or, or you think you're pretty good now and want to get even better, then I would highly recommend finding a Toastmasters group in your area and joining it. It costs almost nothing. And the advantage is it lets you get up and speak. Every week you get to have something on the program. You get to speak. You get to be a part of the program. And then they put you through good training and you get feedback. And I've got to tell you, at the end of a, of a year of Toastmasters, you're going to be night and day different from where you were when you started. I mean, I mean, the, actually, the worst speaker I've ever heard in my life, a friend of mine who was so, she she was in this group and she that, that worked to help uh, uh, raise money for uh, for children's health so that the, the, the poorest of the poor could have vaccinations and nutrition. And she was dedicated to this cause, but she was the most terrified speaker that I'd ever met. She even shook. Her voice shook on telephone calls. And so I got uh-huh. her. I'm serious. But she was so dedicated to this group, and she so wanted to be a leader in this group and really make a difference for these children that she, she joined Toastmasters at my urging. And within about six months, she had made enough progress that she stopped shaking. She stopped shaking. And then she got herself elected president of the group. And within a year, she was giving decent presentations. And within two years, she was picked as director of the statewide group of, that she'd wanted to be a part of. That was all because of her desire overcame her fear. So mm-hmm. if you can give yourself enough desire, whether it's for your job or wanting to teach Sunday school or wanting to do whatever it is you, you particularly want to do that requires speaking – if you have the desire, it can go overcome the fear. Mm, that's awesome. And there's actually once you once you get past the fear and get going on it, there's actually a, a mistake that speakers make. That's I mean they they have a good cause, good reason for it, but it it can really hurt them. What what is that mistake? Well, there's oh there's so many mistakes that many have said. I would say that I would say that practice is probably the single most important thing that uh, speakers can do. You never get past the point where you need to practice and rehearse and plan out what you're going to say, I and mean, especially in the, early, in the early days, unless you're some gifted you know, genius of a speaker. Most of us, and I include myself in this, need to practice out loud. perfect example of this would be Carly Fiorina. In, in the debates, the, the Republican debates. You know, in the first debate, she wasn't even in the, the group of ten. She was in a small group of six, right? And she was by far 
the best in that group of six. And she stood out so much that they moved her up to the big group uh, last week that had the debate. And when I tell you, when she got her chance to speak, this woman had clearly rehearsed what she was going to say probably about 200 times. And she was articulate. She was poised. She knew exactly what she was going to say. She didn't stumble. She was, had eye contact. She had it down. And that was because she had clearly worked, worked, worked on it. And that is, you can't take that ever out of the equation. You cannot get to the point where you think you can just slide by. You need to work on your presentation and keep honing it. You know, the best speakers I know tape themselves, and then they listen or watch the tape, and they make, they make adjustments to that. They always are trying to get better. So to me, I would say the biggest mistake that, that, that speakers make is when they, get, when they, think that, that they think they've arrived and they quit trying to get better and they, 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 they let up on their rehearsal or they try to, or they try to fake it or they, or, or they just don't put the effort into it. You always need to put the effort into it. Mm, that's awesome. Well, this is Marnie Sledberg, our guest today. Jim Comer is sharing with us how to create unforgettable presentations. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about the two best ways to make a point stick with your audience. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian women's events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Do you lead a women's Bible study or know someone who does? Check out BibleStudyExpo.com. That's www.BibleStudyExpo.com. Here you'll meet the authors of the most recently released Bible study books for women. You'll meet Liz Curtis-Higgs, Lisa Devere, Pam Farrell, Elisa Morgan, and dozens of other Bible study book authors. Each author is given 15 minutes to share the story behind her book, her ideal audience, and a little bit about the study's format so you can decide which Bible studies you want to introduce next. It's all available to you free and online at www.biblestudyexpo.com. That's www.biblestudyexpo.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie Sledberg, and our guest today, Jim Comer, is here from ComerCommunications.com, sharing with us how to create unforgettable presentations. Jim, let's talk about the two best ways to make a point stick with your audience. And you mentioned earlier that you have to begin by, you know, begin by being yourself and connecting with them. But beyond that, are there ways, specific ways that people can make sure that their audience goes home remembering what they said? Oh, yes. I mean, the most important one is to wrap your key points. And I'm, and I'm urging people not to make more than a couple of key points. I mean, you can make five or six or seven. They ain't going to remember them. 
That's just not, they're not going to remember that many points. But if you take, if you say have two key points, and you, in and, and each one of those, you wrap that in a story or an anecdote or a personal experience or a, or a disaster that you overcame, whatever it is, something that connects you to the point. So that way the audience, A, they get to know you better, and it personalizes your point. Because audiences remember stories. And if you, met, if you tell a story and wrap it, your point around it, then they're likely to remember your point. And um, yeah, that's, that is absolutely the number one way to have your, your whole point remembered, is to, is to tell a story around it. And, you know, I, I have... Um, Yes, Jim. Earlier, you had mentioned that you had you would sometimes ask people, like, think of the last presentation you heard, and now what were the main points? And they couldn't remember. But if you ask somebody the other question, if you ask them this question, who's the last speaker you can remember and why? This is what comes up, isn't it? It's the story. It's almost always a story. story. Mm -hmm. Here's a perfect example. Um, uh, I heard Colin Powell speak. In the 90s, right when he just won the the uh, the, the war and uh, the, the Gulf War uh, in the early 90s, and he was and he had just retired as a five-star general, and he'd speaking out in California. So this is 25 years ago, and almost. And I, I don't remember anything that he said. He spoke for 45 minutes. I have no idea what he talked about. I remember we all waved flags. But he told one story that made me like him so much, it has stuck with me all these years later. He, he told this – here's the story. He said, he said, you know, I love being retired. I, it's just so different after all these years. I don't have – you know, it's just I can take my wife to the movie on a Saturday night in the, in the theater in the mall. In fact, we went last Saturday night. And on the way back to our car, walking through the parking lot, this woman came running up to me and said, oh, General, I am so thrilled to meet you. I have always been your biggest fan. You are just my hero, General Schwarzkopf. She didn't <laughs> even know who he was. He had, she had the wrong general. And so he gets a big laugh because, A, the woman made a mistake. She, she picked the other general from that war. But what it did was it told the audience, not only he got the laugh, but it told the audience, Colin Powell is just like me. Stuff like that happens to him. People get Colin Powell mixed up with other generals, and he can laugh at himself. He's not a big head. He can laugh at himself and make fun of himself, and boy, do I like that. So see, it created this tremendous positive feeling toward Colin Powell that stuck with me. Plus, he got the laugh. So he got the likability and the laugh both from telling a story, kidding himself. So I urge people to tell stories, and if you can kid yourself in the story, you know, I mean, that is a great way. Reagan, President Reagan, was so great about doing that. I remember he was yeah, once yeah. talking to uh, Congress, and he was referring to the Constitutional Convention of, of around you know, 1789, and, uh, of course, at the time he was in his mid-70s, he said, yeah, yeah, I, the Constitutional Convention, 1789, I remember it well. I was there. And so and he took his age, and he made, he made a joke about his age. And he got a big laugh. And, what, again, what that tells the audience is, you know, 
Reagan is so like a he, he's like us. He's he's a he's a good guy. And you know they called him the Teflon president because no matter he made a lot of you know he made a lot of factual mistakes when he was president. He would say stuff and they would later have to issue a retraction because he'd gotten the facts all wrong. He made more than any president in history, like about five hundred retractions. And the American people mm. did not care. They just laughed right. at all. Did you hear what Reagan said? <laughs> they didn't care because they liked him. See, once they like you, they will forgive you. But if they don't oh. like you, mm, they won't forgive you. So Reagan That's is a perfect. So and of course, we've got, yeah. one, we've got somebody right now who's beyond my comprehension, but we have a Teflon candidate right now running for president, Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't explain it. Uh, I can only say that he is so different. He's our first celebrity candidate, and he's running as the anti-politician. And no matter what he says, the audiences seem to forgive him. And I, I, all the pundits keep saying, well, this time he's gone too far. This time he's gone too far. They said that last week after the debate. Well, the poll numbers are out, and he's still on top. by big So I can't explain Donald Trump, except he must have some of that Reagan in him. I think the people are so tired of typical politicians, they're enjoying seeing somebody who's so different. That's the only thing I can – that's the only way I can explain it. But he's got some Teflon going on because nothing that he says seems to affect him. So what's the other, what's the other way to make a point stick with your audience? Oh, well, I said tell a story. Oh, the other way is uh, repetition. And, you know, this is one that, again, people <laughs> – and again, this is so often the case of corporate people when they have these – they'll have 40 slides and they'll have you know, all these bullet points, and they'll just run through all these points. And yet they, they think by saying something once, they've said it. Now, how many times during our conversation – and we've only been talking about 35, 40 minutes now – how many times have I talked about individuality leading to likability? I bet I've said that 10 or 12 times, Right. Because I'm trying to get your audience to really remember individuality leading to likability. And if they remember that and use it, then that's positive for me. You can't say something once and think audience has got You've got to find ways to say it in interesting, different ways so that the audience will remember it. Joel Osteen out of Houston, very, very popular minister, as you know, he only makes about he makes usually one major point a sermon, but he comes at it about twenty different ways. He'll tell a family story, he'll tell a story about somebody in the congregation, something from the Bible, something from current events. He'll come at his point many, many, many ways. And he drives it home so well that by the end of his sermon, boy, there was, that audience leaves really getting, remembering, taking home his key point. And it's so much better to have them leave with one really good point than nothing. Trying to remember, what did he say? You know, Joel doesn't do that. And that's one of the reasons he's so, so successful is that he makes his points stick with the audience. And he does it through clever repetition. Well, at the end of the day, if you can't remember what you just heard, you're not going to apply it. It may no, change your perspective. No, you're absolutely right. It, but mean, it's not it, going to be applied. Yeah. No, you can't apply mm-hmm. that which you don't remember. Yeah. And most people, I mean, honestly, I'm not kidding you. I've had groups of 100, and I'll ask them the point, you know, the one point they remember from the last speech, and I'll get six people remember something. It's just amazing. 
how we have most of us have very good forgetters. We forget exactly. a lot. We have good wow, forgetters. And so many so good speakers break through that and they make the point stick through a great story. And oh, and while I'm on that, this does not mean telling a canned joke. I never ever tell a canned joke because that doesn't tell the audience anything about you. It just tells them whether or not you can tell a canned joke. Much better to tell a real personal story like Colin Powell did. Much better to tell a personal story. Much better to kid yourself. Much better to give someone in the audience recognition. Audience, you know, especially if you're in business. If you can give somebody in your audience recognition who really deserves it, they're going to love you, and everybody that loves them is going to love you. And people mm-hmm. are dying for recognition. That's another great way to, to be liked. So um, I, I highly recommend those. And um, yeah, also don't grab stuff off the internet that everybody's already read and think that because you've gotten it off the internet that you can you could throw that in and that people are going to think that's original. They're going to know it's not original. We want your speech to be real and original, not something that's that you've taken from someplace else. Mm. When we uh, when we're doing speeches, one of the ways a lot of speakers use uh, PowerPoints or visuals oh. in order to help make the um, make the information stick. Of course, you know there's all the statistics about when you hear it, so much is retained, and then when you see it also, and when you, you know, act it out or whatever. And so what are, what are your thoughts about using visuals? Okay, I have got real mixed feelings about that. I use, I use PowerPoint very sparingly myself. I use it, and I use it almost always with pictures, or very short amount of words. It might be like two, three, four words, like key phrases, or like perfect individuality leading to likability. That would be a slide for me. That's four words. And, and I use big, big fonts so that everybody in the audience, no matter what age or where they're sitting, can see it. Because the worst thing you can possibly do as a speaker is to give your audience a communal eye exam. That is not a kind <laughs> thing to do. Haven't you ever done that? I mean, I've been sitting at the back of, of rooms, and they'll come up with these teeny little fonts, and I can't read anything. And I, I'm trying to look at it. I'm putting on my. I've got the. I've got my glasses on, and you know, and I, they're bifocals. I'm, I'm, I'm squinting. I still can't read it. Then I'll turn to the person next to me. I'll say, "What does that say?" And if they're over 40, they can't read it either. So you don't want to do that to audiences because that does not create a good feeling between me and the speaker. So you want, if you use PowerPoint, you want to use big fonts. You want to make, you do not want to have long lists of little bullet points. People hate that. And also, people can't remember lists. Lists are death to a speaker. We can't remember them. We can remember short phrases if we can see them. So short phrases, simple color scheme, and large fonts, and then pictures. Use pictures. Use videos. Use cartoons to make your points. A picture that makes your point is going to be remembered. Again, it's like a story. It goes to another part of the brain, which is more likely to connect it and to remember it. A picture is, can be so powerful. And so I, I use a lot of pictures. I, I, one of the speeches I give is about my – I did 14 years of – of caregiving for my parents. I quit my job in California and moved back to Texas at 50 to take care of both parents. 
And so I wrote a book about it, and I speak on caregiving. And I use all these family pictures and pictures of me as a caregiver, like trying to get the my father's wheelchair into the truck. You can see my face turning red because it's so heavy. But I mean, it's I use pictures that show what it's like to be a caregiver, and those connect with my audience. Whereas mm. just a list of things would never do it. Mm. I love so it, I'm, and, and I, it keeps coming. It keeps coming back to this. It keeps it keeps coming back to the individuality again. Instead of using canned pictures you bought online, oh you're using God, pictures no, that's of you. the worst thing you to know. do. Oh no, no, don't ever do that. No, yeah, I mean you do not you do not want you do you don't want those uh you know those those yeah things that are bought online look like they've been bought online. They're not you. Whereas if the audience can see you in the picture, that's great. They connect right away. They know that's real. They know that's not phony. You know, I mean, I was hearing some of your uh, the, the 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 ads in between the, our our conversation. You're talking about training uh, Bible study teachers and things like this, and I'm thinking how I'll bet the best of the Bible study teachers bring a lot of themselves and their own experiences into their Bible study, and I'll bet that makes all the difference in the world. I know what at my church the best teachers are the ones that share themselves along with their message. And that's again, no matter what the subject is, it it's when you share who you are and you tie that to whatever whatever the subject is. Always makes a difference. Yeah. And sure. that's true with PowerPoint. If it can be real real pictures, that connect with your audience, they're gonna they're gonna like it better and know you better. And what you don't want is you don't want about fifty slides. Because that's right. you know, I mean I've seen people that have fifty to a hundred slides and that is exhausting for an audience. And about because the only thing worse than that is when they read the whole thing. <laughs> oh, oh that is yeah, that is that's a capital offense. <laughs> I mean, really, why would you do that to an audience? I mean, it's like, really, it's like it's like beating them with a stick almost. I mean, how can they possibly, how can the speaker possibly think that he or she is being effective if they're, and they then often have to turn their back or at least part of their way to the audience to read the slide. I mean, that is the worst thing you can possibly do to an audience. It says that you're not prepared. You probably don't know your subject as well as you should. You haven't rehearsed, and and and, and you're not connecting with us. You're certainly not making eye contact, and it, it's just it's it's deadly, really is. Mm. Big, well, this is Marty Frederick, our guest today. Guest today, Jim Comer has been sharing with us how to create unforgettable presentations. We're going to take one short break and come back and talk about ATO, and you don't want to miss this. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Do you have a book in you? Do you know what to do? Check out the author training program at womenspeakers.com. You'll meet editors, publishers, agents, and publicists whose instruction will take you from thinking to action and from manuscripts to book ASAP. The training also includes the eversion of the how-to guide, Idea to Amazon, in 14 days. Don't wait any longer. Get that book out of your head and into the hands of the readers who need it now. Learn how in the author training section at www. You can enjoy social networking success in just 15 minutes a day. 
That's right. You can enjoy the benefits of social media all in 15 minutes a day using Marnie's sane social networking strategies. Get your 30-page ebook free right now at www.womenspeakers.com. That's sane social networking success in 15 minutes a day from www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we're coming into the home base here with our guest today, Jim Comer of ComerCommunications.com. Jim, you have an acronym that you teach people, ATO. Share it with us. Well, you know something? I made that up about, gosh, 25 years ago, and it just came to me one day because I. So when when you're a speaker or when you're giving workshops, everything that possibly can go wrong eventually will go wrong. I mean, everything. I mean, I've had so many wild things happen. But, you know, once I was giving a talk out in California, and they had me at an out, kind of a beautiful, you know, great weather, and they had me at an outside amphitheater for about 200 people, and, uh, you know, under the big trees and all this, and it's beautiful, and I thought, well, great. And then they tell me, well, our sound system just failed. And our backup sound system failed. And I said, you know, no problem. I was an actor in New York. I can really, I can project. No problem. And it wouldn't have been a problem except for one tiny thing. Just as I got started for an hour talk, the El Toro Marine Base Air Show dress rehearsal began overhead. I mean, it was an hour of jet. I mean, it was not. I mean, I had to speak in between the jets. I mean, I mean, it was oh, like wow. there was no faking it. I mean, and the whole audience could see what was happening. So I began to duck and dive and pretend like the jets were coming after me. And then I would speak as fast as I could in between the two jets. I'd try to get as much information as so the next plane came on. And the audience began to laugh and have fun, and they they were with me. They, I wasn't faking oh, it. I wasn't pretending it wasn't happening. Right. I was pointing right. up to the, to the planes, and I was pretending that they were after me, and at the same time, I was continuing with my talk. What else could I do? That's called right. ATO. I was acknowledging the obvious. The obvious was the fact mm-hmm. there was an air show dress rehearsal going on above, and there was not one thing I could do to change it. And it was too late to move anyplace else. We were in the middle of the presentation, so I had to deal with it. But here's the deal. When audiences see you dealing with whatever's happening – with a sense of humor and, and, and really letting them, in, letting them in on the joke, bringing them in, sharing it with them, you know, like we're all in this together, then they go with you. They're on your side. They want you to succeed. But if you don't, if you don't acknowledge it, you look like an idiot because then they think, what is wrong with him? Doesn't he know the, the, you know, the planes are coming up? I can't hear him, man. You know, if you just tried to go through it and, and talk while the jets were going over, that would make no sense. Now, I always use the example of a, if you're inside of a, uh, you know, you're, you're in a classroom or an auditorium, and, stuff, and if somehow a dog wandered, somehow the dog got into the room and wandered right up to the front where you were talking, where would every eye in the room be, on you or the dog? It'd <laughs> yeah, be on the dog. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you are not wise enough to know that, you shouldn't be speaking. You need to stop what you're saying, 
A-T-O, acknowledge the obvious, the dog that's right by you, and you need to have some fun with the dog. You better be nice to the dog because if you're not nice to the dog, the entire audience will hate you. So you need to get down on your knees, pet the dog. Oh, it's so nice to have you with us. You see, even dogs want to learn about presentation skills, and then you try to find a friendly face near you. Oh, you know, this dog looks a little thirsty to me. Oh, John, would you get this dog some water? And you try to get someone to gently take the dog out of the room, and you say, nice to have you with us. So the audience is going to themselves, gosh, I really love the way Jim handled that dog. He was such a nice guy to the dog, and he was funny, and God, that, that was wonderful. You know, See, the audience, the audience will leave remembering how you handled the dog. They may not remember your best points, but if you're good to the dog, they're going to give you, you know, five stars. They're going to think you're terrific because you used your humor and you used your spontaneity and you were real. And the audiences love that. Audiences are always on the side of the speaker. They want to see you succeed if you'll just give them a chance. So ATO, I, I think I've helped a lot of people. People have come up to me and told me, oh, my gosh, Jim, I used that. Uh, so-and-so happened. The lights, the lights went out. The computer started smoking. You know, a two-chair, a table collapsed with all the stuff on it. You know, somebody knocked over the water pitcher, and it went and it soaked the whole front row. You know, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. It'll happen. So you've got to be ready to handle it and to do it with a smile and to do with it a little wit and a little humor. And it, all it takes is a little wit and a humor, and the audience is going to give you great credit. It's so it's true, and, and if you miss life if you if you miss that opportunity, you really truly have missed an opportunity in the uh, restaurant industry. Uh, we own a restaurant too here, and um, one of the things that really helped me to deal with complaints was to understand that if you handle the complaint within two weeks, you have less than a fifty. Even if you do it well, within two weeks, you have less than a fifty percent chance of retaining the customer. If you handle it within 24 hours, you have about a 90% chance of retaining the customer. But if you handle it in the moment to the customer's satisfaction, if you really please them after they've complained about something, you actually they are more loyal than if they had never had a problem. And coming to that point where you can recognize that this disruption or this surprise or this terrible thing, whatever it is, is an opportunity for you. Once again, That's it's exactly a huge right. mental shift. Yeah. You know, that is so, I, I preach this so hard, and uh, um, I'm not sure it's right for your program, but there is a famous story about the actor David Niven, who was a famous Hollywood actor of the 50s to the 80s, and he, he won an Oscar, and in fact, he actually hosted the Oscar show back in the 70s, and he hosted the show the night they had a streaker who yeah. ran across, <laughs> yes, in 1976, oh, <laughs> they had a streaker, but no, it's total, I don't know how, no one knows how he got in. And he ran across the stage all the way through the audience. Well, it was the longest oh, laugh in TV history. And David Niven was up there in his tuxedo as the host, and he had to deal with it. And he, he used his body language to let the audience know that he had no idea this was happening. He never interrupted their laughter. He just nodded and smiled, and, and then he made a very funny ad lib, which I'm not going to repeat at the end, but he, he made a, an ad lib that was so funny that it's in his obituary. And that's how mm. good he was. He found a way at the very end to acknowledge the obvious so they could move on with the show. 
And that see, it was such a great. Nobody remembers who won the Oscars that year, but David Nibbins, uh, the way he dealt with the streaker, it's become a legend because he handled it yeah. with such grace and such humor. He took it just like well, you talked about the customer. He he dealt with it with immediately, and he dealt with it with great great humor. Well, of course, there's a principle that in everything bad, there's always good that can be found. And so that's what you got to focus on when you're in the middle of it. Uh, Jim, if somebody went over to your website, which is Comer, C-O-M-E-R, communications.com, what are they going to find over there? Well, it, they're going to find, I'm looking right now at the very first page, they're going to find three things, and, I, and I'll talk about those. One of them is called Presentation Skills 101, and that's my basic workshop, that I, the one that I did last week for, a, for an audience here in, in Austin. But I go all over the country, and I'll take it to, to corporations or to associations, to any kind of group where they want to take a small group of eight to ten people and put them through a, uh, like a full day's training with videotape, a feedback, and I work with the people to find out what each person's needs are and how we can make make them get better during two or three exercises that each person would do. And that's great fun because the people actually see themselves on the videos and get better as the day goes through, and it's it's great fun. So that's on there. And then my keynote uh, my keynote speech called The Message is You. Uh, I do a speech on presentation skills, which I've done all over the country, about 22 states, and uh, um, and that's on there, the message is you. And then I also do uh, one-on-one coaching, uh, and I especially come in sometimes when people are having trouble with a, and it's the last minute and they're having a big speech and uh, it's not working, and so they'll sometimes give me a call, and, and I'll work with them on both content because I was a speechwriter as well as, as a presentation. So oh, those are the so three, awesome. three main things I do, the workshops, the keynote speech, and the one-on-one coaching. That's super. Well, uh, you guys got to go check that out at comercommunications.com. Our guest today is Jim Comer, and he's been sharing with us creating unforgettable presentations. Jim, in about one minute, do you have a a parting thought for our uh, listeners that will help them to be better communicators? Well, I'm going to go right back to the fact that I I think that the, the, the most important thing you can do is to get over the fear and focus on what it is you want to communicate. What would you like to do at your job that not being a good communicator is holding you back from? What would you like to do at your church that's not not being a good communicator is holding you back from? What in life? What maybe an organization that you want to take a leadership role? Some some something where you are being held back by your lack of, of communication skills and focus on what you want to achieve. And, and get over that fear. And then use Toastmasters. I, I, I would recommend, I'm, see, this is using repetition. I said it before, highly recommend finding a Toastmaster group in your neighbor, in your area, and they're all over the country and in Canada, and, uh, and join. I think it costs $50 for every six months. It's the best deal in town. And Toastmasters, <laughs> if you go to Toastmasters and work it, it'll change your life. Hmm. Jim, thank you so much for being here. I've loved your loved your energy and loved your content well, I've had a today. Good thank time. you. I've really had fun. <laughs> good, good, good. And you guys can find out more about Jim over at Jim Comer. Uh, well, I'm sorry, it's not Jim Comer. It's ComerCommunications.com. And this is Marnie Swedberg, and you can find out more about me over at Marnie.com. And until next time, I hope that you have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and we'll see you next time around. Bye bye.